0: Some years ago, a Christian man was in public, witnessing to his neighbors about Jesus. A deacon at his local church, he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. His faith would be tested. His boldness to proclaim Christ publicly attracted controversy. Some of his neighbors disagreed with him and verbalized their disagreement. But the Christian man was too wise and knew God's word too well to be successfully disputed. So his opponents lied about the man in secret, instigating others to bear false witness against him. Then they went to the authorities and stirred them up with false accusations. This man never ceases to speak words against our customs. The man is slandered for being an ordinary Christian. Authorities swiftly came upon the Christian man and seized him. They brought him to be judged for accusations that were lies. Imagine yourself in his shoes, standing before your accusers who hold the power to let you live or take your life. Would you feel alone? Would you be alone? Would you Helpless and fearless, renounce your faith? Or would you call upon Jesus for help in your time of need? How would Jesus help in such a situation? Where is he? And what is he doing that he would be helpful? Nowhere in Scripture answers these questions better, arguably, than the book of Hebrews. Hebrews explains why you, Christian, possess an indestructible hope, a hope that rests not only on what Christ did in the past, but also on who Christ is now. He is not a savior who died, rose, and then retired. He's not lounging on his heavenly throne as if it were a beachside hammock, uninterested in your problems. Jesus is actively interceding for his people As I speak, intercession involves a mediator, acting between two parties. What does Christ's intercession mean for us today? In short, Christ interceding is Christ praying. Christ intercedes by praying for us to the Father. Jesus is actively praying for his people as I speak. If the preaching of God's word today makes you fall more in love with him, it will be because Christ was praying for us. And since he surely is praying for us, let us draw near to God now with anticipation that his word will accomplish in us what he pleases. The big idea of today's sermon is this. Jesus intercedes always. My sermon has three main points. One, his ability to intercede. Two, his heart to intercede. Three, our response. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. While you're scrambling around your living room looking for your Bible, here's some helpful historical context. The author of Hebrews is unknown, but the book's title reveals who it's written to, first century Jewish Christians. Hebrews, and if in 2020 you have felt discouragement, if not hopelessness, the Jews to whom this epistle is written would identify with you. This letter mentions they had faced persecution in the form of imprisonment and their property being taken from them. Consequently, they had grown dull of hearing mature teaching and some of their church members had been neglecting to meet together. So Hebrews is God's word to a people who have suffered. A people who have suffered and been tempted to fall away from the living God. Hebrews is an argument why Jesus is superior to any alternative source of hope. Many first century Jewish Christians would have been tempted to consider, I can go back to worshiping like my ancestors have done for hundreds of years and be less persecuted, or I can risk my life to be a part of this brand new sect who worships a crucified Savior. Hebrews is an argument why holding fast to that crucified, risen, and interceding Savior is our only hope. Our text zeroes in today on Christ's intercession. And why our salvation depends on it just as much as his death and resurrection. Let us ask for God's help as we read his word. Our Father in heaven, thank you um, that because of your great love for us, you have sent us an intercessor um, to live for us, die for us, rise for us, and now intercede for us. And now, Lord, may, may we draw near to you with our ears and listen eagerly um, to your word, Lord. Speak through us. Amen. Um, and surely we come we come to you having faith that Christ does indeed pray for us now in Jesus name amen the first word in Hebrews 7:25 consequently signals that the content of the verse is a consequence of what is written in the previous verses so let's take a step back and start reading from verse 23 Please follow along as I read Hebrews 7, 23 to 25. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Point number one, his ability to intercede. What are Jesus' qualifications which make him able to intercede always? Look again at verse 24. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Intercession is part of Christ's job description as a priest. Priesthood conveys important Old Testament imagery. Unless you're an Old Testament scholar, prepare yourself mentally because we're about to time travel to a completely different culture. After God delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt, he commands Moses in the law that high priests be appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. High priests made intercession on behalf of men in relation to God. Again, intercession involves a mediator acting between two parties. Why would Israelites need a mediator between them and God? For the same reason, we need a mediator between us and God. Sin. Sinners cannot just draw near to a holy God however they so please. That's how you die. Our God is a consuming fire. He sets the terms for how sinners draw near to him. In the days of Moses, God graciously gives Israelites priests as mediators between them and himself. And these priests intercede by offering sacrifices. Israelites would bring certain animals to their place of worship and kill them. Then, priests made intercession for Israelites by burning their sacrifices on the altar to God. In doing so, they purified the Israelites from their sins. Only when priests offered sacrifices daily according to God's law would God dwell among his sinful people. God graciously gives Israel a sacrificial system as a way for death-deserving sinners to draw near to a holy God through an interceding priest. Fast forward now to Hebrews 7.25 And Jesus is the high priest interceding on behalf of men in relation to God. Chapter 7 as a whole is an argument why Jesus is superior to merely human priests. To summarize the argument, Hebrews says Jesus holds the power of an indestructible life compared to merely human priests who die. Also, unlike merely human priests, Jesus was sworn into his priestly office by an oath from none other than his Father. Hebrews 7 twice quotes Psalm 110.4, which says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. That's why Hebrews 7.24 says, he holds his priesthood Permanently, because he continues forever. It's also why verse 25 says he always lives to make intercession for them. But why does Jesus' permanent, permanent intercession as our great high priest, what does that have to do with his ability to save to the uttermost? Look again with me at verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save since he lives to make intercession. His intercession is the reason he is able to save. Christ's intercession is just as necessary to your salvation as his death and resurrection. How? Because Christ's intercession applies the atoning work of his death, uh, that is atoning work of his death accomplished. Continue reading with me Hebrews 7, 26 to 27. Verse 26. For it was fitting, it was indeed fitting, that we should have such a high priest, holy, Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins, and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. Jesus offered up himself. In order to do so, the eternal Son of God voluntarily traded His throne for a manger. The Word who created the world became fetus, for only a holy, innocent, and unstained sacrifice could satisfy God's wrath towards sinners permanently. And indeed, animal sacrifice on the altar under the law of Moses foreshadowed the child we celebrate this Christmas being sacrificed on the altar that was the cross. Then, showcasing the power of an indestructible life, he resurrected, proving himself to be a perfect sacrifice and high priest. Then he ascended back into the heavenly throne room where he offered his own blood to his father as a once-for-all sacrifice for all his chosen people for all time. Hebrews ten fourteen says, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is why he is able to save to the uttermost the Son of God, did not shed His blood and drink the cup of His Father's wrath to save you a little bit. Jesus paid the ultimate price because He wants the uttermost parts of your soul. The subject of His intercessory prayer is our uttermost need. Be encouraged, believer. Any sin-killing or fruit-bearing in your life happens because Christ prayed for it. Be encouraged believer with unbelieving family and friends. No such thing exists as a sinner with too much sin and not enough time to be saved. Charles Spurgeon preached, if I should see a sinner staggering on in his progress to hell, I would not give him up, even when he advanced to the last stage of iniquity. Though his foot hung trembling over the very verge of perdition, I would not cease to pray for him. And though he should in his poor, drunken wickedness go on staggering on until one foot were over hell and he were ready to perish, I would not despair of him till the pit had shut her mouth upon him, I would believe it's still possible that divine grace might save him. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them by applying the power of his perfect sacrifice to the lives of his people. No longer his high priestly intercession take the form of sacrifices like Israelite priests who were imperfect people offering God imperfect sacrifices. Christ's intercession takes the form of help having already offered a perfect sacrifice on behalf of men to God once for all. So there's our first point. Jesus' ability to intercede always rests in his perfect sacrifice and perfect priesthood. His sacrifice was once for all, and he continues a priest forever by the power of an indestructible life. Let us move to point number two, his heart to intercede. Out of all the things Jesus could be doing from his heavenly throne... Why does he always live to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. And read with me to verse 16. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, Sympathy comes from the heart. It is the heart of Christ that moves him to make intercession always. The heart of Christ's intercession is not annoyance at your weaknesses, as if he's complaining to the angels, like, oh, can you believe this guy sinned again after all I've done for him? He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He always lives to make intercession because of his affection toward those who draw near to God through him. So his prayers for his people on earth will last as long as his love does. And praise God, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Our heavenly intercessor is the same Jesus who said on earth, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and lowly in heart. As Andy taught two weeks ago, your weariness qualifies you to come to Jesus and experience his gentleness. Our heavenly intercessor is the same Jesus who on earth saw the crowds, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and was moved to compassion. As Joey taught last week, your helplessness is the very thing that moves Jesus to feel compassion for you. Our heavenly intercessor is the same Jesus who as he hung, suspended from the cross, as he's mocked, mercifully utters, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. He is the same lamb who was led to the slaughter that by his wounds we might be healed. He is the same groom who gave himself up for his bride, the church, that he might present her to himself in splendor. He so identifies himself with his bride that he asked the persecutor of the church, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me When we remember this is who intercedes for us, this moment, we can confidently echo the writer of Hebrews when he says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. God does not reveal in scripture exactly what Christ's intercession sounds like in heaven but surely his prayers in heaven are reminiscent of his prayers on earth. Remember his high priestly prayer in John 17 when he prayed for his disciples to be kept from the evil one, to be sanctified in the truth of God's word, to be one with one another and the Holy Trinity, and that we may be with him and see his glory. Remember his words to Peter before his betrayal. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And what happened to Peter? Mr. Confidence Peter who tells Jesus, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter falls hard, denying Jesus three times. Yet Jesus' prayer was answered still. Peter's faith did not fail because Christ's prayers do not fail. Our perfect priest, prays perfect prayers, and always receives from the Father what He requests because He paid for His requests with His blood once for all. To avoid any misconceptions, Christ praying for us does not look like begging to a Father who is reluctant to show us affection. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Our salvation is the father's plan. The father is just as joyful to answer his son's prayers as the son is to intercede. Indeed, the father has already guaranteed his son's requests. Hebrews says the father has left nothing outside of Christ's control and that Christ now upholds the universe by the word of his power. So here's our second point. Jesus' heart to intercede always is the same heart that moved him to die for us. A heart of sympathy, a heart of love, a heart that yearns to be with us forever. That's the heart of the one who upholds the universe. Let us move now to point number three, our response Based on Jesus' ability to intercede and his heart to intercede, how should we then live? We should act like the people who Jesus saves in Hebrews 7.25. Those who draw near to God through him. How do I do that? If, Christ is in, if God is invisible and Christ is in heaven, how do I draw near? I cannot stroll over to him like Peter, James and John. How do I after Christ's ascension draw near? I think the answer becomes clear in Hebrews 11:6, where it is written, "And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists" And that he rewards those who seek him. Do you hear the parallel between faith and drawing near to God? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. We do not draw near to God with our feet. We draw near to God with our hearts. This verse is actually written in the context of the Hall of Faith after Enoch is mentioned. Enoch is repeatedly described in Genesis as someone who walked with God. Enoch's whole life was a walk with God, drawing near to him. God wants you to walk with him from when you awaken in the morning to when you fall asleep at night. He wants you to live in his presence always. Drawing near to God is not merely going to church. It is not merely prayer. It is not merely reading your Bible. You can be drifting from God as you do these things. Jesus once said of the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Hebrews 5, 7 gives us a picture of what drawing near to God looked like for Jesus on earth. It reads, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. How many times have we strolled into Sunday service, checked off our Bible reading plans, or prayed for dinner with zero reverence? Drawing near to God with reverence means drawing near to God with faith in Christ, knowing that we are the worst of sinners, knowing that we deserve eternity in hell, knowing that we need an intercessor, knowing that Christ, as the perfect sacrifice and priest, is that intercessor, and that he rewards those who seek him. Throughout Hebrews, the author points us forward to a reward, an eternal inheritance, and a city, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that those who draw near to God through Christ will receive. And the best part about this kingdom, God will be there. How much does that appeal to us? Is this not why we're celebrating Christmas this year? Because 2,000 years ago, Christ drew near to us that we might be able to draw near to God through him. Drawing near to God is gathering to worship by faith, praying by faith, reading scripture by faith in Christ alone and expecting that God will hear us and that God will speak to us because Christ is praying for us. And if drawing near to God is by faith, we're to be drawing near to God all the time. Scripture says to pray without ceasing. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In Hebrews 7.25 Those who draw near to God means those who keep on drawing near. That's who will be saved to the uttermost. Not those who drew near to God once and look back on a decision they made to follow God like a memorial as the reason they're saved. Drawing near to God looks like continuously drawing away from sin to God through Christ. The book of Hebrews was written for the very purpose that its readers would not stop drawing near to God through Christ because Christ's ability to save implies there is something to be saved from. Hebrews 10 31 says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We sinners need an intercessor to save us from God who has prepared a fire to punish sinners for as long as the length of Christ's priesthood forever. But God so loved even us sinners enough to send his only son to be an intercessor. There is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only way. Jesus only saves those who draw near to God through him. Do not neglect such a great salvation. Yet in your case, beloved Edgewater, I am sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Do you not know, Christian, that even when you are faithless, he remains faithful? That even when you are prayerless, he remains prayerful? And what does Hebrews 7.25 in particular imply Christ is praying for? That you would draw near to God through him to be saved to the uttermost. Your drawing near is an answered prayer request from Jesus to the Father. Pastor Robert Murray McShane once said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. If I believe I am prayed for by Christ, loved by Christ, and forgiven by Christ, this is how I ought to respond. If I believe in his once for all sacrifice, permanent priesthood, and sympathizing with my weaknesses, to whom else shall we go? This Christmas, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's what happened to the Christian man whose story I opened the sermon with, who authorities had seized because of his faith. Standing before the authorities, the Christian man boldly proclaimed the word of God. He was so bold, he called his accusers stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit. His hearers were enraged, understandably, and ground their teeth at him. That's when the man, whose name was Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and an intercessor, who was mindful of him in his time of need. Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God graciously gave Stephen a glimpse of his heavenly intercessor, sympathizing with his weaknesses, so that readers of Acts like us might also be encouraged by such a picture Upon receiving sight of his savior, Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. This only made the authorities angrier. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city to stone him. And as they were firing stones at Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen stood up for Jesus because Jesus stood up for him. You do not need to be a superhero to do what Stephen did, you need to be helpless and in desperation draw near to God through him who upholds the universe. Let us then draw near to God through Christ alone. For Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Oh Father, thank you, thank you that you have shown us, let us know about this intercessor we have in heaven now, that we not only have to look back and have faith in something that happened in the past, but also we can have faith in a, a Savior who upholds the universe and is sovereignly praying for us, Lord, for our good, for the good of those who love him. Oh, Lord, so may we draw near now, tomorrow, and forever with our eyes set upon the throne of grace, anticipating um, his second coming um, when we will be with him forever. In Jesus' name, amen.